Well, good morning, and welcome to Calvary Chapel. Cold enough out there for you? I said to Lorianne uh, during the worship service, I said, yeah, we could always be outside today. <laughs> but we are really glad that you're here with us, and we don't take it for granted that uh, God has allowed us to stay open, and that God has blessed us and kept us healthy, and many of you have... Uh, had to deal with sickness over the last couple months, and we've been very responsible here. And I want to thank those of you who have been sick because you were careful enough to protect us by staying home when you needed to and, uh, you know, doing what you needed to do to keep the rest of us safe, even though you were ill. And, and we certainly pray for everyone who is. Some are more severe than others. It's a very strange virus, but, uh, but we've stayed healthy. We want to continue to stay that way because we want to continue to be able to stay open and be able to be a blessing to the community, to all of you. Many of you have been visiting. Some of your churches are closed. And uh, we just appreciate you being with us today. So welcome. This morning, we are in Psalms chapter 140. You can turn there with me, Psalms 140. And you know how when you watch a movie that has maybe a little bit too much violence or adult subject matter, you'll get that little warning, says TVMA or something of that nature, and then it says, you know, warning, parental guidance is suggested. Well, today's message is not for the faint of heart. Today's message is a very real look at how we should be praying in our world right now and within our culture. And I'm going to start by sharing with you a question I've been asking, especially this last week, but even over the last few months, I've been asking God this question. I've been asking myself this question. How do we pray for our leaders now? The leaders that God has allowed us to have. How do we pray for them now? And I've heard a lot of very loving pastors and leaders and Christians talk about how we need to do our best to pray for success and those kind of things. But I'm going to give you full disclosure. I'm not praying for this administration to succeed. I'm praying for our nation to succeed, for our culture to succeed. But the path to success is not through the agenda that's being promoted by our current administration. So far from praying for them to succeed, I'm praying for them to fail miserably. Fail miserably at an agenda that will take away our religious rights, threaten the unborn, confuse our young people and others about the subject of gender and transgenderism and other things that are just downright evil and immoral. So yes, I will be talking a lot about these things today, because in our lesson today, David is going to share with us in Psalms 140 and 141 his prayers during a very difficult time when his leader, who happened to be his father-in-law, his leader Saul was hunting him down to put him to death. He was a very ungodly man. In fact, he was possessed by an evil spirit. That's how David got to know Saul. Because he would come in and bring Saul into a good place through worship so that he could fend off the evil influences that God had allowed to come into his life because Saul had surrendered his heart to evil. And David is not, certainly not, going to pray that Saul would be successful in hunting him down, putting him to death, and destroying the Lord's anointed and the Lord's plans for the nation. Rather, David prays for deliverance. He cries out to God for deliverance and prays for protection. And brothers and sisters, that's God's answer to me, I hope it is to you, of how we're supposed to pray for our leaders now. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we know that your word is always appropriate to our circumstances. And I've said this before, but the Psalms, the Psalms always seem to be exactly what we need to hear and when we need to hear it. And I thank you for this message today. And pray that you'd speak to our hearts and do that in a mighty way that we might serve you with our whole hearts, mind, soul, and strength and love our neighbors as ourselves. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, I've warned you. The words of David are going to be harsh because they need to be. 
David in Psalm 140 is crying out to the Lord to deliver him from his enemies, and he had enemies. And as we talked about last week in Psalm 139, David hated the enemies of God. He said it this way, If only you would slay the wicked. O God, away from me, you bloodthirsty men. This is in Psalm 139, verse 19. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent, and your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. And that's because they were the enemies of God. And to qualify, we do pray for our enemies. We do love our enemies. But we don't love what they stand for and what they do. And that's what David is talking about. It's not personal. It's an issue of hating the things that the evil forces of this world stand for. And you are right to hate them, to hate evil. You are right to pray against them and their success because their success would mean promoting evil. So now David in Psalm 140 is crying out for deliverance and that is exactly how I've been praying. Lord, deliver us from the wicked. This psalm is provided to the director of music for use in the worship services in the temple. It's a worship song. It is appropriate sometimes to worship by asking God to get involved in our world and judge the enemies of God and his word. It is appropriate. And this is also what we call an imprecatory psalm. You've heard me use that term before. It calls for the Lord to exact justice on the wicked. Now, maybe it's because of my Sicilian heritage, but I like imprecatory psalms. And I tell you this with all the love in my heart toward the unsaved. I I pray for mercy on the souls of all who are leading our nation right now. May God have mercy on their souls. But may God's justice prevail in our world. David cries out to the Lord to deliver him from evil men. Look what he says in verses 1 through 3. Rescue me, O Lord, from evil men. Protect me from men of violence who devise evil plans in their hearts and stir up war every day. They make their tongues as sharp as serpents. The poison of vipers is on their lips. And then he says a word that's often used in the Psalms, Selah. Selah. Think about that, in other words. Take a moment. Think about what David just said. And that's what we're going to do. He asked the Lord to rescue him, protect him from the violent men that are trying to kill him. Of course, you think David was praying in a cave, fearing for his life? Oh, I hope Saul and his administration are successful. He describes them as serpents, vipers. By the way, does that sound familiar to you? Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this. One of the greatest voices of his generation was John the Baptist. And he called the leaders of his own nation a brood of vipers, not to mention several other things. And Jesus, when dealing with these same individuals, used the same phrase, bunch of snakes. One of the most powerful voices of his generation, John the Baptist, ended up in jail. Why? Because he spoke the truth to power. He spoke the powerful truth of God's love and repentance, but he also spoke of the evil of his age, called out Herod for his immorality and his wickedness. And as a result, ended up beheaded as a prophet of the Lord. So, if that's our standard of speaking truth to power and to wickedness, then don't lose your head. The bottom line is, you know, these are wicked days. And where are the voices? Listen, I'm not a hero. I'm just a pastor preaching the truth. But where are the heroes of our day? Where are the the, the bold men and women willing to speak the truth? Where, Where are the pastors who are willing to stand up and say what's real without worrying about being canceled from social media? I'll tell you where they are. Nowhere. I very much admire Pastor John MacArthur, more so now than ever, because as one of the very few voices over this last year for what's right and standing up and preaching the truth about worship and praise and worship services being essential, and he's not the only one, he just happens to be one of the more vocal, it's amazing how many people distance themselves 
from a man like that because they don't want to end up in that prison cell with John the Baptist. But he's inspired me and encouraged me to continue to do what I've always done, and that's to preach the truth. Listen, these people that were coming after David, much like the people that will be and are coming after us, and don't kid yourself, they are, are serpents, they're vipers, and they use the poison of their words to slander him, and these wicked people will use their poison to slander us as well. In the book of Romans, when Paul quotes this very verse and this very scripture, He's quoting it to say, look, none are righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He describes the wickedness of the world, and he quotes this verse in verse 3 to make that clear. This is what the world has to offer. Then he takes the time to pause, and we need to take a time and think about that as well, to consider his need for the Lord to deliver him. Consider it's our need as well. You know, one of the things that I have uh, come to the conclusion is that I, I can't do anything. We can't do anything. A political movement can't do anything. 75 million people don't seem to be able to do anything. Apart from God getting involved, we're lost. But here's the truth of the matter. God gets involved. Amen. Amen. So that's how we pray. Deliver us, Lord, from evil men. Listen, that is what we should be praying for. Not this kumbaya sort of swarmy kind of attitude of, oh, well, the church is all about love. Yes, of course we're all about love. But if you're not about truth, you're not a church. And this is truth today. And David speaks truth when he also cries out to the Lord to deliver him from wicked men, a different category, but very similar, verses 4 and 5. Keep me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Protect me from men of violence who plan to trip my feet. Proud men have hidden a snare for me. They have spread out the cords of their net. They have set traps for me all along my path. Selah. Take another moment. Just breathe that in. He's asking the Lord to keep him, to protect him. That's how you should be praying in these wicked days. He wants to be protected from those violent men that are trying to kill him. Of course, you don't say, oh, Lord, I pray for the success of this administration or this group of people or, the, or King Saul. Who are, you, you Really, you want to? Because you know what they want to do. You know that. There's no question about that. Oh, Pastor Tim, how can you say that? It's un-American. Oh, no, no, no. I'm, long before I'm an American, I'm a Christian. He describes them as hunters who have hidden snares, nets, traps in order to apprehend him. They're after him. Don't kid yourself. He knew that. We know that. And then he again takes that time to pause, considering all that he needs. And he needs for the Lord to deliver him. And then David does something wonderful. And the phrase he uses, sovereign Lord, literally in Hebrew is Elohim Adonai, sovereign Lord. Two different words for Lord, but they're put together to make it clear that God is in control. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Sovereign Lord. It's almost redundant. That's not redundant. It's a powerful truth. It's reiteration. Sovereign Lord. Elohim Adonai. He cries out to the sovereign Lord to defeat these evil, wicked men. You know, election reform doesn't fix things like God can fix things. I hope your hope is in him. And that your prayers are focused on God getting involved in our world and in our culture. Because here's the thing, he never fails. He always does what's right and good and loving and merciful and just. My hope isn't in any one, any political party. My hope is in Jesus. David understood, and that's why David prevailed. Because though he was being pursued and though people wanted to put him to death, he understood God was for him. And if God was for him, who could be against him? He understood that truth. We need to be reminded of that. That's the one very good thing that can come out of this time in which we live. That you're going to start to cling to God and realize he is your strength, your sword, your shield, your rock, your high tower, your refuge, your strength. And that's a good thing because we read in verses 6 through 8, and David learned this. And by the way, before David could become a king, he had to become a man of God. And this difficult time made him into the man of God that God wanted him to be. Verses 6 through 8. O Lord, I say to you, you are my God. Hear, O Lord, my cry for mercy. O sovereign Lord, 
my strong deliverer who shields my head in the day of battle. Do not grant the wicked their desires, O Lord. Do not let their plans succeed, or they will become proud. Selah. He's acknowledging the Lord is his God, asking him to hear his cry for mercy. We have been praying for mercy, of course, on our nation. We want God to be merciful to us as a people. And he acknowledges the Lord as his strong deliverer, his protector. When he's out on the battlefield, and David was a warrior, he knew God at his back. He knew that God was with him, protecting him on the battlefield. And he asked the Lord to prevent these wicked men from succeeding in their goal to kill him. And again, I pray for all the enemies of God, and the promoters of wickedness, to fail miserably. I hope it blows up in their face. I hope everything that they're trying to do that's wicked and against God's word not only fails, fails so miserably that people run them out of town. That's what I pray. Oh, I don't pray for success for an evil agenda. How could I? How would I? No, I don't. He asked the Lord to prevent them from succeeding, and then he takes the time to pause. Selah. Consider Consider our need, as David considers his need for the Lord to deliver us. Three times he's done that. So you pray, and then you pause, and you wait on the Lord who renews our strength. Well, then David cries out to the Lord to destroy the wicked, because the only answer for wickedness is destruction. Oh, but Pastor Tim, don't you want them to repent? Yes, that would be better, but don't count on it. Pray that God would destroy the wicked. Pray the wicked would become righteous in Christ, but pray that the Lord would destroy the wicked. He asked the Lord to bring trouble, to bring trouble on them. Look what he says in verses 9 through 11. Let the heads of those who surround me be covered with the trouble their lips have caused. Let burning coals fall upon them. May they be thrown into the fire, into miry pits never to rise. Let slanderers not be established in the land. May disaster hunt down men of violence. Of course you can get behind that. It's not wicked to get behind that. It's righteous. Now, we're not going to storm the castle. We're not going to do this in our own strength. We're not going to make this happen. We can't. And if we could, we'd be wrong because vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. We pray for God to deliver us, and we watch as God delivers us. Selah. Selah. Selah is not violence. It's not rioting. It's not commotion. Selah is waiting on the Lord to do his work by faith. So he asked the Lord to bring trouble. And I've been praying that way. Bring the trouble that they've caused For him, that is David praying, bring the trouble that they've caused for him upon their own heads. May what they're trying to do to him happen to them. That's how David prayed. Listen, they dug a pit, may they fall into it. They're trying to kill me, may it turn around on them. And that's that's a very legitimate way to pray. And he poetically asked the Lord to destroy them. And he says, so destroy them with burning coals, fire, and miry pits. Now let me explain. It is a poetic psalm. It's poetry. But it's it's intentionally dramatic, intentionally descriptive. Hot coals and fire were often dumped down on enemies to keep them from scaling the city walls. So you're under siege and, you know, you dump hot coals. You, you, you dump fire down on top of them to protect yourself. Now, we're not going to do that actually. It's poetic. We're going to do that prayerfully. Can I hear an amen? We're praying for those hot coals of God's justice to come down upon them. The fire of God's wrath upon those who refuse to repent. We're looking for God to do that. Now again, what would be wonderful, beyond belief, and I'm praying for this, is some type of revival that either comes out of these dark days and possibly even affects those who are wicked at the moment. And that would be wonderful. That is definitely great. Better to change hearts than to rain down fire on men. Absolutely. But if hearts refuse to change then the burning coals are a little bit of taste of the hellfire that awaits them. And I'm okay with that. And so was David. You know, pits, it mentions pits. Pits were often dug in the ground and covered with branches so that enemies would fall into them. And he's saying, they're digging pits. This is what they're doing. May it happen to them 
And he asked the Lord to prevent these slanderers and violent men from being established in Israel. And that's not an illegitimate way to pray. Finally, David declares his faith in the Lord's deliverance. And now we, we, we've, we've taken that moment. We say Selah, and we've prayed, and we've thought about how to pray for our leaders now, right? But now we have to trust God, and this is the hard part. Because you come to church, you go to a prayer meeting, you log on to a Zoom call, and you pray, and then you turn on the news. Well, I'm just going to encourage you. Be very careful what news you turn on. Because you know what I found? I can leave a service and be totally pumped up, watch a particular news channel, and feel like all is lost. But that's not true. And David says it at the end of this psalm in verses 12 through 13. I know. Can you say I know? I know. I know that the Lord secures justice for the poor and upholds the cause of the needy. Surely the righteous will praise your name and the upright will live before you. Amen. That's, that's the end of this is this prayer for deliverance that he desires ends with faith. And I think part of the problem is we pray and we, we ask for God to get involved. We ask for God to deliver us. And then we say, but you know, nothing's going to change. And there's a danger there because in one way, it's fair to say before the Lord comes again, things are going to get worse. But it's also fair to say that before the Lord comes, things are going to get better. Have you read the book of Revelation? We tend to focus in on all the death and destruction and not on the soul harvest of innumerable individuals standing before the throne of God who've washed their robes and come out of the great tribulation saved. Now, why is that? Why do we always focus on the negative? Why do we just look at all the destruction and the difficulty and the challenges and not think about how God might be using this for good? I'm absolutely 100% convinced that God is going to use all that's happening in our nation and in our world for good. It doesn't mean it's going to all be good. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It may be very difficult. It may be very challenging. It may be dark days ahead. But I'm convinced that God's in control. He's sovereign Lord. Can you say that? Sovereign Lord. I won't make you say it in Hebrew. Sovereign Lord. And because you know that, because we know that by faith, we get to the end of that prayer for deliverance. And and this should be in our hearts. We've said Selah three times, right? We should know this. We should know that we can trust God's deliverance. We should know that the Lord provides justice for the poor and the needy. And we can anticipate with David that the righteous and the upright will live to praise the name of the Lord. I hope that's where you are in your hearts at the moment. And I hope you stay there. Selah. Now we get to Psalm 141. Very similar, and they're both written by David. And I think they go together very well. Because in addition to want to be delivered or wanting to be delivered from wickedness in high places, in in addition to wanting... uh, our leadership of our nation to be righteous again and and praying that they would not succeed in their evil desires and wicked intent. In addition to that, we also want to be protected, don't we? I think one of the things Christians are concerned about right now is, okay, well, you know, I'm willing to do that, but what's going to happen to me and my family if I do? You know, Christians are being canceled all over the place. I'm reading articles and and, and finding out that if someone stood up for a particular movement or candidate or stood uh, out uh, against things like uh, abortion or other issues or transgenderism, I'm finding out that many of those people are being blacklisted now. You can't get a job. Oh, but Pastor Tim, what am I going to do if I can't get a job? Well, that's what we're going to pray for, that God would protect you because standing up for righteousness might cost you your head. The problem is that we live in a very wicked world, and as long as the wickedness has some some influence and control over the media, it's very possible that myself or any one of you, for standing up for these things, could be jeopardized financially. Uh, What happens in your condo complex when they say they don't want you living anymore in that place because you refuse to fly the rainbow flag? Uh, What what happens to the pastor who preaches a message like this and somebody gets wind of it and now social media just attacks that person? Unfortunately, we're not a denomination, so I'm not worried about that. But there are many pastors that are afraid to speak because they may lose their livelihood 
the church board may fire them or the people may think that they're too controversial. Obviously, I don't care about any of those things. So here's what I do know. I know that we need to pray for protection because people are losing their jobs. People are losing uh, positions of influence and power. And, you know, I, I saw where... I think it was a golfer. Now, what he said, I don't even know what he said because they, they said he used the F word. And I got to be honest with you, I don't think it was the F word I'm thinking of. It was another F word. Now, apparently, there's a whole lot of F words now. I only happen to know one. <laughs> I love that. I read an article and they're like, he used the F word. I'm like, okay, which one? You know, uh, he said a word and then they show the word and it like begins with one letter and then it like has stars. And I'm like, I don't know what word that is. I'm glad because I don't use that word. But apparently there are words now that if you use them, they're as bad as the F word or worse. So this golfer, I guess Ralph Lauren was his sponsor. I can't remember the guy's name, but he lost his sponsorship. I guess it's their prerogative to sponsor him or not. We live in a free country. But it's amazing. The political pressure made it such that he lost his paycheck, essentially, because he used a word he probably shouldn't have used. Again, I really don't even know which word. I'm glad. I don't need that in my mind. And apparently it was a derogatory word, and he should have never used it. The Bible makes it clear. We don't use derogatory words towards sinners or to people. That's wrong. If there is such a thing as hate speech, that probably qualifies. When you, when you say something about somebody and you use it in a way where you're really trying to say something nasty. The funny thing is, I think he was using this word to curse his golf game. Why he would use that uh, a word, whatever word that is, I don't know. But the funny thing is, he wasn't even talking to a person. Apparently, he was frustrated that he missed a shot. And a word slipped out of his mouth. And the word apparently can be used as some type of a slur to some group of people. And people went nuts. Now, in my opinion, that's this big. That's like a nothing thing. Compared to, what if you stand up and say, the Bible teaches that marriage is between one man and one woman for life. Or that a person who wants to change their gender needs help. Because they're not thinking rationally or appropriately. And they, and they may have issues that need to be counseled. Or what happens when you say to the person who uh, believes that a same-sex relationship is okay in God's eyes. Now, again, here's the thing. A person who, who defies God and his word, who says that that's okay, I get it. I don't agree, but I get it. They don't, they don't live by the same rules or, or the word of God that I do. So I understand how they came to that conclusion. They took God out, and, and there you are. I'm talking about the person who believes in God or allegedly believes in God and his word, but then says that it's okay if you love someone. What if you say those things like I am right now? See, I'm okay saying those things. But, w- but what happens when you say those things and maybe you're teaching a Bible study or it gets recorded or somebody gets you on the Facebook uh, live stream and your boss hears it and then you get called into the office. Be very careful. Get off of Facebook, brothers and sisters. You don't want to support that, that company anyway. Get off of Instagram. I didn't used to be so bold, but now I can be. Get off of Twitter. Get off of those companies. They're looking to censor your speech anyway. Do yourself a favor. You're just putting yourself in jeopardy. Now, I'm willing to go out on our website with these messages because that's what God has called me to do. And if God has called you to do that on TikTok or YouTube or whatever your venue is, God bless you. But know the fire is coming. Listen. What happens when you have to pay with your livelihood for serving Christ and standing up for the things that are right? You know what happens? You find out what it means to be a Bible-believing Christian, which most of this country doesn't understand. So this is David now praying for protection. Now, I'm sharing the application, but, you know, remember, David is dealing with his authority. And what is David dealing with? Well, he's crying out to the Lord to deliver him from his enemies, just like we do. And in verses 1 through 2 in Psalm 141, O Lord, I call to you, come quickly to me. Hear my voice when I call to you. May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. Beautiful way to start this cry for protection. He's crying out to the Lord to hear his prayer. He asked the Lord to respond quickly to his prayer. By the way, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Right now, time is short. Praying that the Lord would act quickly is not a bad thing. We don't say, oh, Lord, take your time. No, Lord, act quickly. He likens his prayer to the burning of incense at the incense altar in the tabernacle. 
They would burn incense at that altar inside the tabernacle or the temple, and it was reflective of the prayers of God's people, making it under the veil and behind the veil into the presence of God, the Holy of Holies. And he likens his praise and worship to the evening sacrifice at the brazen altar in the tabernacle or the, or the temple court, where they would sacrifice animals for the covering of sin, a foreshadowing of what Christ would accomplish on the cross. So isn't that interesting? He thinks of his worship as, and his prayer as incense and the sacrifice, the sacrifice of praise, if you will. Now, here's the thing about praise in, in our lifetime. Most of us, probably all of us in our lifetime, praise hasn't cost us all that much. It, it hasn't really been a sacrifice, but it might be soon. Praising the Lord publicly, standing up for his word and coming to a service like this, it might actually be an evening sacrifice. There may be a sacrifice. You may have to suffer loss for the gain of eternity. Our brothers and sisters, even now in certain areas of the world, know that already and have for centuries. And now maybe we're beginning to understand what it means to have faith in difficult circumstances. Beginning, beginning to understand. But we pray for protection like David. And then David prays that the Lord will guard the words that he says and protect his heart from evil desires. Now, this isn't like guard my words so I don't say something stupid. This is guard my words that I may not say anything evil. Here's the problem. When you're dealing with evil people, it's very easy to respond in kind. Right? I mean, it's very easy. Someone curses at you, you curse at them. Someone calls you a name, you call them a name. You respond in kind, and and that's wrong. And David understands that. Even with Saul, do you know something? He could have taken Saul out on a couple of occasions, and he didn't. He said, I'm not going to lift my hand against the Lord's anointed. We should never, ever use violence as a way of promoting righteousness. Ever. We should never use unwholesome words and slander and gossip and hate speech, legitimately called hate speech, speaking hate, as a means of promoting righteousness. I know we understand that, but I just need to say it again. I need to hear it because I've been convicted of some of the things I've thought and some of the things that have come out of my mouth in private. So I'm, I'm throwing myself on the fire here. We need to hear that. We need to be reminded. It's, it's, it's not appropriate. So back to the word here. Look at verses 3 through 4. Set a guard over my mouth. Oh, a very good prayer. Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Let not my heart be drawn to what is evil to take part in their wicked deeds. With men who are evildoers, let me not eat of their delicacies. I like that. Let me not eat of their delicacies. Like, it's very, very tempting when you go to, like, Cheesecake Factory. Have you noticed they put that counter right at the door and make you wait there for your seat? And then people are coming in just for the cakes. They don't even eat there. They just all the cheesecake. You ever notice the pieces are really big? They're delicacies. We love that stuff. It's sweet stuff. It's good. We like it. He uses that as an analogy to speaking evil things and acting in evil ways. You know what? We like it like cheesecake. It's sweet to us. Because in our human nature, not in our nature as children of God, in our human nature, doesn't it, come on, let's be honest, doesn't it feel good when somebody's driving down the road and they cut you off to show them one of those fingers? It's wrong. It's wicked. It's evil. It's who I am apart from Christ. If you're honest. Oh, I know. I know. I'm the only one that feels that way. At least I'm willing to admit it. Isn't it like when somebody says something to you and you come up with the best retort, the best comeback you ever heard, and I'm good at that, and you know, you just snap back at them and you say, I don't know, you know. And you say, that was good. It wasn't good. It was evil. But it felt good. And that's the problem. And that's why I like that David says delicacies. Because no one, when they hear delicacies, is on the menu, says, ah. They say, ooh, I wonder if they have those little cream puffs. Be 
mignoli cookies. Delicacies is exactly the best way to describe what David's talking about because it's sweet to the taste, but it's evil. Just like sugar. Sugar will kill you. Sugar will kill you, but no one minds it. And that's what happens. <laughs> that was an amen. He likes sugar. That was an amen. <laughs> Love it. Out of the mouth of babes. Out of the mouth of babes comes wisdom. So this is David making it clear, you know, he wants the Lord to prevent him from saying evil or wicked things. Amen. Amen. He asked the Lord to prevent him from being tempted to do evil and wicked things. Amen. See, in addition to praying for God's deliverance from evil in the world, we need to pray that God would deliver us from evil. I mean, that makes it into the Lord's prayer, right? Deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So you need to be praying this way too. You know, he asked the Lord to prevent him from even associating with evil or wicked men. Did you see that in the latter part of verse 4? With men who are evildoers, let me not eat of their delicacies. He want, doesn't want the, to, them to take part. He doesn't want to take part in what they're doing. And again, that subject, delicacies, he describes their tempting words and actions as delicacies to be firmly resisted. So if you made a New Year's resolution to eat less sugar or eat more healthy things, uh, you know how difficult and how tempting it is when you're faced with those delicacies. It is exactly the same kind of thing. When faced with the opportunity to mouth off or to do something wicked in response to wickedness. Unfortunately, that's kind of what we saw at the Capitol a couple weeks back. Were they responding to wickedness? Yes, in a wicked way. A lot of good that did. It actually did a lot more harm than good to our country, to the conservative movement. It really did. Is that, one, is that you? Is, is that who you want to be? You know, and those people, and perhaps rightfully so, you know, they, they've been getting uh, arrested and, and brought into court. I just kind of wish that that was even-handed, you know, like the burning of cities all over the country for the entire year. Nobody gets indicted, but then, you know, of course, a few conservatives do the wrong thing. And they all be, they're all going to like Alcatraz or something, you know. So, you know what? I, I think that we have to be very careful. If we're going to be taken seriously as Christians, we have to make sure that we pray like this. What does David say? Set a guard over my mouth, and oh Lord, and keep watch over the door of my lips. By the way, that includes what you post online. Oh, but I didn't say it. Yes, you did. Your fingers did the talking. And not the way we talked about before. Okay, so what we have here is let not my heart be drawn to what is evil. And that is a very natural inclination. So make sure you know that. Make sure you know your proclivity toward these things. And ask God to protect you not only from the world, but from yourself. And then he says in verse 5, I like this. It's kind of, well, it's kind of severe, but it makes its point. David declares he's willing to be struck and rebuked in order to, for his heart to remain pure. It's, he's kind of saying, look, I'd rather be disciplined then blow it. Look, look at this. He says in verse 5, Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil on my head. My head will not refuse it. That is a position of humility. When you're willing to be corrected, and maybe some of you, myself included, are being corrected today because of the things we've been thinking and saying and posting and doing in response to wickedness. Maybe we need to kind of hear this today. Maybe we need to be re rebuked. Maybe we need a righteous man to strike us. Wake, wake up! Snap out of it! Realize that what you're doing is wrong. He wants to remain pure, so if that's what it takes, fine. And he's speaking poetically. He doesn't actually want someone to strike him, but if that's what it takes to wake him up, okay, fine. He considers being struck by a righteous man a kindness if it protects him from evil desires. By the way, every parent has to decide how they're going to parent every child. They're all different. Every situation is different. But there's something that I knew growing up. You do understand when you get it wrong and you get disciplined, whether it's corporal punishment or, you know, whatever kind of punishment it is, you understand you did wrong. And that makes a mark in your heart that what you did was wrong. And that's not a bad thing. 
And I think we need to be reminded when things are wrong, just as much as we're reminding the world of the things they're doing is wrong. And so, as we've read there, it is a kindness. I like that. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It's oil on my head. My, my head will not refuse it. He wants to be corrected. And I, I pray that that stays that way in your heart. Look at, uh, I'm going to read it for you. In Proverbs 27, verse 6, uh, I read this. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. You see, we have to be willing to let people know the truth, and that means being willing to hear it. You've heard that expression, you can dish it out, but you can't take it. Well, we need to be willing to be corrected if we're going to have any chance of seeing this world changed for Christ. Now, as I look at that, I realize he also considers being rebuked by a righteous man, not just a kindness, but a healing bomb. Oil was a, like a medicine, a healing bomb. It, it protects him from evil desires, and I like oil on my head. Now, sometimes oil was used to anoint people for service, but sometimes it was, it was used as a medicine. Oil is a medicine. It's uh, antiseptic. It actually will uh, protect a wound from becoming infected. It will actually keep a, an infected wound from becoming worse. And so idea, put that oil on my head, the medicine I need to stay healthy and not become infected with the pus of the world. That's graphic, but it makes its point. Okay, so now, in in verse 5, latter part, David now prays against those who do evil and are wicked. Again, I'm okay with this, and there's more of it. He says here, yet my prayer is ever against the deeds of evildoers. Notice what they do. Their rulers, their, hmm, their rulers will be thrown down from cliffs. And the wicked will learn that my words were well spoken. They will say, as one plows and breaks up the earth, so our bones have been scattered at the mouth of hell, the grave, Sheol, Hades. Sounds pretty severe. Notice, though, he was willing to take a look inward first. The first thing David did was say, you know, what? I got to deal with what's in my own heart before I start dishing out death and judgment. All right. I've got to look real deep into my own soul first. In my own heart and mind. Because there's a Hades, there's a Sheol, there's a hell that dwells there. And until I address that, I really don't have any good business praying for God to judge the wicked. He understood that, and we need to as well. It's always easier to cry for God to be just with the world and the wickedness of the world and not take inventory of our own souls. But David has And so his prayer is ever against the deeds of evildoers. Their rulers will be thrown down from cliffs. I particularly like that line. Uh, And the wicked will learn that my words were well spoken. And then he gives this, again, graphic as, as one plows and breaks up the earth so our bones have been scattered at the mouth of the grave. Now that's judgment. That's exactly what he's talking about, judgment. And as we read that, we realize he always prays against those who do evil. Always. And he asked the Lord in a very poetic way to destroy their leaders by throwing them down from cliffs. Their high horse, if you will. Taking them off their high horse. Throw them down from cliffs. Humble them. I really don't think that there are many, many leaders in our nation in any area of life that know the meaning of the word humble. It's very, very difficult to be in power and have influence and be humble. Very difficult. But that's what we pray for our leaders. How do we pray for our leaders now? That's how we pray for our leaders. That the Lord would humble them. He declares that the wicked will learn the truth of his well-spoken words. And that's the thing. If your words are well-spoken, the truth will bear them out. You see, there's nothing that I'm saying today from God's word, nothing David prayed, and nothing that we're kind of throwing out there today that I'm going to have to retract. I haven't said anything from this pulpit in my understanding over the last decade or so that I would go back and say, you know what, I probably shouldn't have said that. And you want to know why? Because I'm not really into saying what I need to say. I'm interested in what God is saying. 
Now, maybe I could have said something more artfully. Maybe I said something and someone could have misunderstood it. But I'm here to tell you, there's nothing I'm sharing with you today that, like, I'm going to put out a retraction next week. Why is that? Because our words have to be well-spoken. Yeah, I write down what I'm going to say, okay? Weeks before I say it, and after I say it, I go and I listen to what I said. Because I may someday need to retract something, but I tell you, up to this point, I haven't said anything that I'm thinking I shouldn't have said. They're well-spoken words. And we need to be careful about the things we say, but we we need to be brave enough to say, oh, I meant it because the word says it. Are your words well-spoken? David said, they're going to find out how well-spoken my words were because he's preaching the word of God. Amen? And then, amen? And then he says this. He says, their bones will be scattered among the dead in Sheol like a well-plowed field. That's graphic. Have you ever seen when they raise a building? That's interesting. That word raise means... Raise, it also means destroy. Um, but raise, that is destroy a building, and they clear the field. Uh, they're doing a lot of construction right now. If you're familiar with uh, where I live up in uh, uh, suburban Essex, um, or west in that area, uh, they're doing a ton of construction, rightfully so. It's a horrible interchange between 3 and 46, and I've been praying for years that they would address this issue, and they are. Well, the area looks like a bomb went off, and the ground is all plowed up and devastated and there's pits everywhere. It looks like no good can come of it. But now they're starting to put in the service roads and the off ramps and I can start to see how this is going to be a good thing. Sometimes we need to start by raising things. That is knocking them down and starting again. And what he's saying is that field needs to be plowed over and all the bones of the wicked lying at the gates of hell. That's what needs to happen. And David understood that. Finally in verses 8 through 10... But my eyes are fixed on you, O Sovereign Lord. Let's say that together. O Sovereign Lord, Elohim Adonai. In you I take refuge. Do not give me over to death. Keep me from the snares they have laid for me, from the traps set by evildoers. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass by in safety. See, David wants to be protected. If he's going to speak out for righteousness... And cry out for God's deliverance. He's got to pray for protection because it's never a popular thing to do. So people say, well, pastor, aren't you a little worried? You called out Nancy Pelosi last week. You called out Dr. Fauci last week. Aren't you a little concerned? No. Because I also, in addition to praying for deliverance, I'm praying for God's protection. But your church is still getting together. Aren't you concerned you might host a super spreader event? Well, concerned in the sense that we've taken precautions. But as I've said to certain people who refuse to come out for whatever reason, some good, some not so good, I tell them the same thing. What would you have me to do as the pastor of the church? Guess what? I have the wonderful job of having to make that ultimate decision with counsel and advice of leaders. What would you have me do? Shut the church? Shutter the church? Oh, maybe we should take a vote. I think you voted. I think you voted. The eyes have it. Some have said, well, you should make people keep their masks on in their seats. Some of you do, and that's fine. Great. Keep them on. That's wonderful. We even hand them out in the back. But I'd say about 80% of you don't feel that way. And it's not that the majority rules, but listen, listen. <laughs> I'm not worried about it. Why am I not worried about it? Because this is where God has called us to be, and this is what God has called me to do, and apparently he's called you to be here as well. And we've read over and over again that God preserves our lives. See, uh, if something bad is going to happen to me, or if this world is going to blow up, I'd really like to be right here when it happens. It doesn't mean I'm reckless or irresponsible. But there are some things that are non-negotiable. Well, he says, I take refuge over there in verse 8. I take refuge, or in you I take refuge. Do not give me over to death. And that's my prayer. I pray for protection from sickness. I pray for protection from being canceled and all that other junk that happens in our culture. I pray for protection from slanderers and gossipers and haters. Having put that aside, I pray for God to deliver our culture. But woe unto me if I don't preach the truth of the gospel and God's word. And to you as well. So, 
He declares that his eyes are fixed on the Lord, who's sovereign over all. He asks the Lord to protect him, to spare his life. Nothing wrong with praying like that. He asks the Lord to keep him and protect him from the snares and the traps of those who do evil. I pray that way as well. And finally, he asks the Lord to let the wicked fall into their own nets, that he might be kept safe. And as I ask the worship team to come up to close out the service, I just want to say, we've answered, or the Lord has answered this question, how do we pray for our leaders now? It's clear. Uh, The Lord has also answered the question, how do we pray for ourselves in these dark days? We pray that we would live righteous lives, so upstanding that the world is in awe of what God is doing in and through us as his people. But that he would also protect us and keep us from those that want to do us harm. You know, for a long time, over the last few years, the biggest concern people had about coming to church was some type of uh, active shooter situation. That was everyone's greatest concern. But I guess, and I don't want to make light of it because there's no making light of something like that. Because it's horrible. It's horrific. And it was a legitimate concern, and, and maybe still is. But it's interesting how now the greatest concern is something different. There's always going to be a reason the devil will give you for not being where God has called you to be. Be sure that you hear his voice. Today, if you hear his voice, you know, hearken unto his voice. Today is the acceptable day of salvation and deliverance. Today is the day that God wants to work in and through your life. Today is that day. If you'll stand and be counted among the sons and daughters of God, God will put his message in your mouth and protect you. Or have we forgotten Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who went into the fiery furnace saying essentially what Queen Esther said, if I perish, I perish. We're not careful, O king, how we're going to answer you. Because even if we perish in the fiery furnace, we know God's able to deliver us. But even if we perish, we're not going to bow. And as our children come in, we're so glad to see them. As they come in and find their seats, let's close our service in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for each and every person here today, every child, every adult, every person. We thank you for our brothers and sisters who are at home listening to this message. And Lord, if you've directed them to stay home, then encourage them in the conviction you've given them. We respect their decision. And we pray that you would keep them safe and healthy. They may have health concerns or other concerns or caring for those who do have health concerns. And Lord God, because of that, we pray that you would be with them, minister to them, and meet their needs as well. And for those within our families and congregation who've been ill and are still recovering, Lord, may you touch their lives with health and blessing. And finally, as we close, we do pray with David that you would deliver our nation from the wicked rulers that seem to have control over it right now. And protect the church, your people, and protect us, protect our families, protect each and every one of us at our jobs and in our places of influence, school, wherever we go, from the wrath of the wicked. And Lord God, change our nation. May the hearts of many who who see where wickedness will bring us, may they repent of wickedness. May you show them mercy and may you bring revival to our land, but it can't happen until there's repentance. Lord, may we as well repent of the sinful thoughts and actions we've been guilty of over these last few weeks. May our hearts be right before you to bring you glory. All the days of our lives, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.